And let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this day of worship, for this day of rest, for this day of fellowship, for this day of gathering together in your name. Thank you, Father, for what you're revealing and teaching. Thank you for your word and your spirit and your presence, Lord. Thank you, Father, for even confirmation here in that song that we just sung. That song is so important, and that verse is in the Bible of Ephesians 6 is so important. Help us, Father, to read it often, but not just to read it and remember the words, but to do it, to put on that whole armor of God and to stand our ground firmly and to speak the truth with boldness, with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We ask you, Lord, to live in us and speak through us with your courage that you have and use our tongues, use our bodies, use us, Lord, as your army, as your body here on earth, as your hands and your feet and your tongue. Lord, the Bible even says, Lord, that you will come back and strike people with your tongue, that you will do that, Revelation 19. We ask you, Lord, that you would move in us and give us courage and help us to study the word today in this sermon. And that when we leave these services today, that we would have more courage and more truth and more understanding, that we would no longer uh, be afraid of the enemy, but rather that the enemy will be afraid of us. We ask, Lord, for your help this day and every day in Jesus' name, and may you be glorified in this, that your will will be done and not ours. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Praise God. For the the scriptures, we'll be starting in Ephesians 4. So if you'd like to be turning to Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 25, Ephesians 4, verse 25 is where we're going to start. And for the record, today's date in the Roman Catholic calendar is November the 12th, 2016. November 12th, in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2016. And in God's created calendar, today is the 13th day of the 8th month. 13th day of the 8th month. Next month, we're going to be celebrating the Fiesta of Dedication, which the Jews call Hanukkah, but we call the Fiesta of Dedication. And we'll be talking more about that in the upcoming weeks, and I will be editing the article that we already have on the website about the Fiesta of Dedication, what they call Hanukkah. And we'll probably be having special services and so forth and celebrating that. And uh, so it's an exciting time coming up next month uh, and a time that's very important to our time. The Fiesta of Tabernacles, and not Tabernacles, but dedication, is very important for the end time followers of Jesus Christ. Extremely important. 
And we will be talking about that, teaching about that, releasing uh, an updated article about it with more information in the upcoming weeks. Um, let's be praying about that, and please be praying for me as I try to get around to editing that article and getting information out there. And we're also going to be observing even sooner Thanksgiving. And I believe that Thanksgiving is entirely uh, acceptable, entirely acceptable. It is good to give thanks unto the Lord. And that's what Thanksgiving is all about, giving thanks unto the Lord. And there's nothing wrong or pagan about that. making some notes real quick about things I need to do about Thanksgiving and if yes, so dedication. To God's people have liberty and the right to rejoice. Amen. We are not a sardo people. We are not sad people. We are not sire people. We are happy people with smiles in our faces and smiles in our hearts. Amen. So we celebrate many different things. We have better holidays in the world and in one sense, more holidays because we can celebrate the Fiesta of Tabernacles and then really soon after that, Thanksgiving, and then really soon after that, the Fiesta of Dedication. We are a party people. Amen. Praise God. But not we don't party like the world does. But we party in God, in Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. Well, let's get to to today's topic. And that is, uh, I'm uh, putting a title to this, Be Angry and Sin Not. We've heard that verse quote it, be angry and sin not, what does it really mean? And we're studying this in the context of, uh, you could put a subtitle to this sermon, our duty to speak the truth even when it offends. Be angry and sin not, our duty to speak the truth even when it offends. In Ephesians 4, verse 25, it says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth. There's two things there. Laying aside the lies, the falsehood. That means unlearning all the lies, laying it aside, laying it down, letting go of the falsehood. We have to let go of the lies, of the deceptions, of the false doctrines of man. That's one thing. We have to let go of that. And then the second thing is to speak the truth. Once we let go of the lies, we have to not only believe the truth, but speak the truth. Not just believe, but even speak it. 
book of James tell us, don't be just hearers of the word, don't just hear the word, but do the word. And doing the word includes speaking the word. Amen. And it says, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you. It doesn't say just the ministers. It doesn't say just the pastors. But each one of you, that could be translated every one of you. Making a note here on that, that Ephesians 4, verse 25, each can be translated every one of you with his neighbor with our neighbors. Now, our neighbors can mean many different things and does mean many different things. It means people that live close to us as well as family and and other people, people we come in contact with. If we look at the spiritual principle behind this, people get so caught up on the letter of the word that they're like, it says neighbor, so that don't mean family. Or it means, it says neighbor, therefore it don't mean somebody that lives 10 miles away. They get so caught up on the letter and forget the spirit behind it. The spirit behind this is Paul telling the church at the town of Ephesians, the town of Ephesus, and so the citizens of, of the city of Ephesus were called the Ephesians. And so this would be like Paul writing to America writing to the Americans. So he's writing the church of Ephesus, the same church of Revelation chapter 2 or chapter 3 where he writes the church of Ephesus, and the people called the Ephesians. So he's writing to them, and the spiritual principle that Paul is saying is to witness, to evangelize to all the people in that town. All the people living in that town are our neighbors, uh, and it doesn't matter whether they live right next door or 10 miles away on the edge of town or even in the next town. For the earth, everybody living on the earth is our neighbors. And everybody living on the earth is our brothers and our sisters through Adam and Eve. We're kin to every person on earth, every person on earth, except for the fallen angels that pretend like they're humans because they're not really human. But I'm talking about real humans that everybody is our neighbor. And it says, for we are members of one another, meaning that we're all born from Adam and Eve, and we all were born to serve God, every one of us. Whether we obey or don't obey, whether that is fulfilled or not fulfilled, every human and every angel was created to serve God. And we're all members of one another. In verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. What is the context of this anger? Is this talking about getting angry about prices of food or about the electric bill? No. The anger that it's talking about is talking about spiritual anger, righteous anger. Sometimes we can feel righteous anger stir up inside of us. And that's okay. 
The churches of Babylon, traditional religion, tries to teach us that all anger is of the devil. But that's a lie because we know that Jesus himself got angry and overthrew the tables inside the temple of God. Can you imagine somebody going inside a church building and getting so angry at what they're doing in that church building that they literally stand up and run over to the tables and chairs and start flipping them and throwing them? And then he even cut whips and chased the people out with the whips. Wow. Jesus got very angry. And that's not the Jesus that is preached every Sunday morning. Because the Jesus that is preached in the Sunday churches is a Jesus that was always peaceful, never got angry, never got upset, never uh, spoke an angry word, never said anything bad about anybody. And that is your traditional Jesus. But the real Jesus got extremely angry, even to the point of violence. Don't you think overthrowing tables in the church building, the temple, that was a church building. Don't you think that is violent? But Jesus never sinned. That's what the Bible says. He never, ever sinned in his entire life. From the moment he was born, to the very moment that he died and then even rose from the dead. He never, ever sinned. It was not a sin for him to go in there and throw those tables or chase the people out with whips. Not only did he throw the tables, but he even chased the people with the whips. That's pretty violent but it was not a sin. Not at all. Be angry, it says. It doesn't say you can be angry. It says be angry. There's a difference there. You can be angry, which say, well, you could do this. But it don't say you can be angry. It says be angry. It is telling us to get angry to get angry. We should do this. We should be angry. Be angry. Why is God telling us through Paul, Paul's writing it, but God is inspiring Paul to write it. Why is Paul telling the church, not just the Ephesians, but even us, because it's written down in Scripture. Why is Paul telling us through the Holy Spirit inspiring him that we need to get angry because we do. We do. We need to get angry. And if you just look around at the world today, if you look around all the wickedness, the murder, the rape, the children, what's happening, how people are molesting the children and kidnapping children, if you look at how people are treating animals, if you look at how the Democrats, what the Democrats are doing, if you look at what Syria is doing and other nations and what America is doing, if you look at 
uh, all the different sins in this world. If you look at what's going on in these Sunday churches and all these false doctrines, how can you not get angry? Amen? How can you not get angry? We should get angry. We have every right in the world to get angry. Every right. And we should get angry. Because the more we draw closer to Jesus Christ and the more of his spirit that comes and lives inside of us, and the closer we draw closer to him and the more we let go of the false things, the more that we lay aside the falsehood like it tells us to do, the more of God's light is going to be shining in us and the darker the world gets. Amen? And the more light that comes and dwell in us and the more we love the light and we live in the light and dwell in the light and the darker the world gets, these are totally opposite and light cannot get along with darkness and darkness cannot get along with the light. Amen? The darkness and the light hate one another. And the Bible tells us to hate sin and darkness and wickedness, it says, abhor evil. That word abhor means to hate, that we should hate evil, to abhor evil. That's what the Bible says. Because evil and sin and lies and false doctrines, they are a danger to us and to our families and to the church, a danger to us. False doctrine is a gun. False doctrine is a gun that won't, won't just hurt our flesh and blood body, but our spiritual body. False doctrine, as well as temptation and lies and deceptions of the world, is a spiritual gun to our soul and will kill our soul. We need to look at false doctrines as being an evil and dangerous and murderous weapon against our family and ourselves and our souls. Amen? This ain't fun and games we're dealing with. This is war. Amen? We need to get angry. Because the devil is angry at us. And he is waging war against us and our families and against God himself. This is a war and it's a very real war. And if we're going to win this war, we've got to get angry and pick up our spiritual swords, the word of God. And if we're not angry, we're going to pick up that sword and not use it. Can you fight a war without anger? If you do, you're going to lose. Amen? They train the soldiers when they go into the army and when they're faced with the battle and they say, okay, we're going to send you in to a certain place at a certain time today and your job as an army in the American army, I'm talking physically and literally here, that if you are in the real army, flesh and blood army of a nation, and they send you into war, 
it is your job to murder people. Not murder, but kill. To kill people. And how can you do that unless you develop an anger for the enemy? You have to develop an anger. That's the only way that you can destroy the enemy. The only way. And if you go into that battle of a flesh and blood war without any anger against the enemy, without any hatred of the enemy, without any contention against the the enemy, you're not going to be able to lift up that machine gun in a real flesh and blood war. The same is true in a spiritual war. You are not able to lift up the sword of God and use it unless you get angry. We need to get angry against the devil because the devil is a liar, a thief, a robber, and a murderer of our families and is trying to kill us and destroy everything. We cannot let him destroy. Amen. And it says, be angry and yet do not sin. Jesus got angry and did not sin. You can get angry and not sin. Paul even tells us to get angry and not sin. Amen? And this is in the context of laying aside the lies and picking up the truth and speaking the truth. Now, in Ephesians 6, we just sung that song about the whole armor of God. And part of that armor is not just the uh, defensive part where it's uh, the helmet and the belt, the buckles and the shoes and the shield, but also the offensive, the sword. Part of the army, part of the armor of God is not just the protection to keep things from uh, hurting your flesh, but part of the armor is the sword that must be used to pierce the enemy. Amen? Did you ever think about that? The helmet protects you. The breastplate of righteousness protects you. The uh, belt of truth protects you. And the shoes protect you and the shield protects you. But the sword is used to fight the enemy, to pierce the enemy. Amen? And if you go into the battle using all the clothing but not the sword, you will lose. Can you imagine a man dressed in full armor, but he lays the sword aside, and he he marches into the heat of the battle. Now, everybody on the enemy side has got a sword or bow and arrow or gun or some kind of weapon. Every one of them has some sort of a weapon. But you march into the battle with no weapon, only your defensive armor. What's going to happen? The enemy is going to win. You have to use not only your defensive armor, but your offensive weapon. Amen? You have to use your offensive weapon. You have to have both parts of your armor, your offensive and defensive. The same is true in the football game. You can't just use defensive tactics in a game 
you have to also use your offensive tactics as well. If you use only one or the other but not both, you're not going to win the game. You're not going to win the race. Amen. Now the context is speaking the truth in verse 25. According to Ephesians 6, the sword of the word of God is the word of God. How did Satan and Jesus himself fight? After Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil, and the devil pulled out the sword of the word of God, and Jesus pulled out the sword of the word of God. Jesus didn't just use his armor. He used the sword of the word of God right back against Satan, and they both used the sword. Amen. The devil is using the sword of the word of God. The devil knows the word of God better than we do. The devil knows how to quote scripture, and he uses it as a sword to pierce our soul and kill us. Did you know that the word of God can kill us? Because the the word of God is a sword. Amen? The word of God is a sword. The devil used the word of God against Jesus. He did. And the sword of the word of God can kill even the Christian because the devil can use it as a sword against us. The devil did that. Amen? The devil did that. The devil used the word of God as a sword against Jesus. The word of God can kill us, destroy us, hurt us. And a lot of these groups, every one of them, in fact, the Baptist Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Catholic Church, the Jehovah Witness Church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the Mormon Church, the Islam Church, all these churches of the world, religions of the world, are using the Word of God against us. We have to fight back with the Word of God. Amen. That's what Jesus did. So it says, speak the truth. That means use your sword of the word of God. Each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, and be angry. you got to be angry to eventually use that sword in the right way and do not sin. But then it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. That means do the battle of the day. Wage the war. Do the battle, but then when it comes to bedtime, then you you can at that time, at bedtime, relax, rest, and take the time to draw close to God. Amen. Let your armor down. Pull your socks off, your shoes off. Relax, talk to God, pray to God, and let him take care of everything at the end of the day. You have fought the good fight, as Paul said, that he has fought the good fight. And now, take it to the Lord. At the end of the day, take it to the Lord. Let the anger cease. And let God 
restore and refresh your soul. Heal your wounds from the battles of the day. At the end of the day, let your anger cease and let God fill you with his peace that you may rest and not toss in the night. Let him refresh you in the evening. Let him refresh you and give you peace. Amen. Now let's go to Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. And as you turn into Matthew 10, verse 27, I'll share you a witness, a testimony. Just the other day, a couple of women came in the ministry building here, and they were both extremely rebellious. They came to check out what this ministry was about, and that's a good thing. But the first question that they asked, or one of the first questions was, do you believe in King James Version? And I said, well, we read from the King James, we study from the King James, but we also read and preach and study from the New American Standard Bible. And they both were very adamant that we should follow only the King James. Now, all the other uh, translations are all of the devil. And they had learned this by listening to some man on the radio and going to your traditional Sunday churches and and everything else. And they would not really listen to anything that I had to say very much, especially to the one woman. And at least one of the women did allow me to give her some flyers to take home and read. But the other woman flat out refused, would not accept any of the flyers. Well, I have to be honest. I got angry. Because here is me telling them, I know our doctrines are different from the denominations because we don't follow denominations, I said. We follow the Bible. And I said, the only thing that these flyers do is give you the scriptures. And we just simply ask that you read the scriptures and fast and pray about them. And she, even after saying that, refused to take any of the flyers because that we don't believe in the King James only. These people are brainwashed to actually hate any other translation. They literally hate all translations except for the King James. And they literally worship that King James translation, which is only a translation of man. They hate, and they do have anger against the Word of God. They hate the Word of God. All of the King James only people hate the Word of God and love a translation of man over and above the true translation of God of his word. So I felt righteous anger within me. And I just flat out told that woman that, well, some people just cannot 
are not teachable. I said, some people are just not teachable. She said, oh, I'm teachable. Well, she lied when she said that because she refuses to be taught the truth. Amen? Is that not, am I not telling you the truth right now? She refuses to be taught the truth. She resists the truth. And then the other woman who was more willing to hear me out some, but still was very adamant about King James only, just telling me how the other translations are evil and all that. And I said, flat out, with righteous anger, you're wrong. You've been taught wrong. I had to allow myself to vent some anger because without getting a little bit angry, I would have never said that to her face, that you are wrong. When you say you are wrong or you have been taught wrong or you are deceived, straight to somebody's face, it takes some boldness. And I usually would never, ever, ever say those actual words. But sometimes we have to say those words. And I'm glad I did. I don't regret it at all. Both of those women needed to be told to their face exactly the way it is because nobody else is going to tell them. Do you think their Sunday preacher is going to tell them that? Do you think the men that they listen to on the radio is going to tell them that? Or the books or the websites that they follow? No. Nobody is going to tell them to their face, you're wrong or you're deceived or you've been taught wrong or that you're not teachable. They had to hear it. And to say it, I had to get a little angry. But I did not sin. I only told them the 100% truth. Here in Matthew 10, verse 27, Matthew 10, verse 27, what I tell you in the darkness, or it should say in secret, or in your in privacy, Speak in the light. That means that what we are hearing in our hearts and our minds or through the scriptures as we read it, what we're learning from God, however we're learning it from God or however we're hearing it from God, we are to speak. That's what Ephesians, you know, whatever we read while ago, yeah, Ephesians 4, verse 25 said to speak. Well, here it's telling us to speak right, is telling us to speak what we're hearing. Speak in the light, not in the darkness, but in the light. You know what it means to speak in the light? It means to speak where people can hear you because in the light is in the open. In the dark means in your privacy, in your prayer closet. But in the light, it means in public where everybody can see. In the darkness, nobody can see you but God. But in the light, everybody can see you. This is what it's talking about. And what you hear whispered in your ear in secrecy and privacy, nobody can hear that whisper but you. But you are to speak it out and proclaim it upon the housetops. Now, today, we can't literally get on top of our house and start preaching because we'd be arrested. But in that day and time, yeah, they did that. They did that. 
in that day and time. And you could do that without getting arrested in that day and time. In that day and time, they were much more free about freedom of speech. Amen? You had freedom of speech in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. But today, we don't have that much freedom of speech. You get arrested for preaching on the top of your house top from your balcony. So we can't do it exactly the way they did it, but we can still preach in public. We can still share the truth through the flyers, phone calls, emails, person-to-person, face-to-face. We can still proclaim the truth in the light, in the public. But how can we do that? How can we do that unless we have a passion? I mean, you've got to get a passion to you before you can actually tell people that the Antichrist, the son of perdition, is the president of Syria. And that the president of Syria is not human. That he's a fallen angel who's going to appear in the sky in a fake coming of Jesus. When you say things like this, people's going to think you are crazy. Amen? They are going to think you are crazy. But to say such words as this, crazy things, you've got to get some boldness. Amen? You've got to get some guts to fight the war. Because when you say these things, oh, you about a guarantee they're going to pull out the sword. You about a guarantee they're going to pull out some scriptures and use it as a sword against you. Because the devil knows the word of God better than you do. That's sad. But we have to change that and get to the point where we know the word of God better than the people of the world who are not even saved. The church of God should know the Bible more than the lost people who think they are saved but are not. The church of Jesus Christ should know the scriptures better than the false church of Babylon. They're going to pull out the sword of the word of God and use it against you to try to cause you to fall away from the truth. They want to hurt you. They don't think they want to hurt you, but they do. They want you to Throw away your new American Standard Bible. That would hurt you. They want you to follow only the King James Version, which would hurt you. Because when you follow King James Version only, it hinders and holds back and prevents you from growing in the truth. They do want to hurt you, even though they don't know that or realize that. That's not what's in their mind. That's not what's in their heart. But it's what's in the spirit behind what they're doing. The devil is using those people, and they don't even know it. The devil knows what he's doing. The devil knows that their tactics and their words and their sword is trying to hurt you. So they might not know it, understand it, or realize it, but they are being used by the devil. Even Jesus spoke to Peter and said, Satan, I rebuke you. Jesus spoke to Peter and said, Satan, I rebuke you. 
And what that means is that Peter did not know it. Peter did not realize it. But Satan was using Peter. So these people may not realize it, but Satan is behind them trying to draw you away from the truth. And we can't allow that, Ken. In order to speak the truth in public, we have to get some boldness and some guts to us and be prepared to fight back with the Word of God. So when they pull out their verse, we can pull out our verse. That's what Jesus did. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus did that. And look at the context in verse 26 here, Matthew 10, verse 26. Therefore, do not fear them. And look at verse 28, do not fear. So in the verse before verse 27 and in the verse after verse 27, he says, do not fear. Ain't that pretty interesting? He's telling you that I want you to speak in public, but before he tells you I want you to speak in public, he says, don't fear. And then after he says it, he repeats the word, do not fear. So he's telling you that it's going to be a fight. And he's telling you to be bold and courageous. Do not fear. He says it two times. He says it before and after that he tells you to speak in public. Before and after, two times. So how how much more clear can it get that when we speak in public, don't fear the fact that they are going to come against us. And don't let that persuade us away from speaking that truth. Don't let it persuade us from speaking that truth. Because that would be fear, wouldn't it? It sure would. If we allow the devil to persuade us to not speak the truth, that would be a form of fear. A bad form of fear. In verse 26, it says, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed or hidden that would not be revealed or hidden that would not be known. In other words, sooner or later, these liars and deceivers are going to be revealed for who they really are. It's going to be revealed sooner or later. And in verse 28, do not fear those who are able to kill the body. They might arrest you. They might literally harass you in all kinds of ways. They might literally punch you in the face. I mean, look at what the Democrats are doing right now. Rioting in the streets because that uh, supposedly Trump won the election, which he did not win the election because Hillary Clinton got more votes than Trump. I believe I would have to double check because the numbers are being updated every day because they're still counting the votes even now. But we don't really know who won the election yet. They're still counting the votes. And the Electoral College don't even vote till December 19th. So we don't know who the president is yet, do we? And even if Trump does become president, and he might, he might, Hillary Clinton will still be president sooner or later. It's just a matter of time. But what are the Democrats doing? 
because that we believe right now that Trump has won the presidency, they are rioting, punching people in the face just over an election. These Democrats, lost people, are violent, literally, physically, in the flesh and blood, extremely violent. We've got to realize that, that the lost people are violent. And their type of sin, their type of anger, I mean, their type of anger is a sin. Because their type of anger and their type of violence is not righteous. Their type of anger and their type of violence is of the devil. We're in a war, and they're fighting, and they are fighting. Don't we know we're in a war? Verse 28, do not fear them. Even though they're using literal violence, do not fear though the who can kill the body. They are unable to kill the soul, the spirit. This flesh and blood body is temporary. It's going to be gone anyway, sooner or later. So why should we fear fear losing this body? This body is only temporary, like the pain on the wall. It's only temporary. Just like the grass is only temporary. It gets cut down every week or two. It's only temporary, like the grass that's going to be burnt up. It's only temporary. We should not be fearful of losing this body, but only to fear God and to fear God only. He's the only one that we should reverence and worship. Remember that fear is reverence, is reverence. Fear is reverence. We should not have reverence for the enemy. Amen? We should not have reverence toward the enemy, and we should not have reverence toward false doctrine. Never, ever, 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 ever have reverence for false doctrine. Amen? And let's keep reading here in verse 29. Are not two sparrows, I believe that's birds, right, Brittany? Yep. She says, yep, I'm right then. And are not two sparrows, these birds, these tiny little birds, sold for a cent or penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father. That means without God knowing it. They may fall to the ground. It doesn't say they won't. But apart from God, meaning without, without God knowing it, they may fall to the ground, but God will know it. Verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Did you know that? Underline that. Highlight that. You should read that often. You should write it down and put it on the refrigerator. The very hairs of your head are numbered. Did you know that God has a number spiritually on every hair of your head, and every time that even one little hair falls off your head, God knows it. If one hair on your head falls to the ground, God knows it. God is all-knowing. The devil is not like that. Amen? The devil doesn't know when just one hair from your head falls, but God knows. 
Do you know if you have, if you have perhaps, for example, if you have 1,202,000 hairs on your head, every one of them is numbered, and God knows exactly how many hairs you have on your head and on your body. Amen? God knows. But the devil don't. The devil doesn't know that. Verse 31, so do not fear. If God knows that much, if God is that powerful, if God is present with us that much, why should we fear? The devil does not have that kind of ability. The devil does not have that kind of knowledge. Why should we fear? So do not fear. You are more valuable more more important and more valuable than many of these tiny little birds called sparrows. More important. Verse 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me, you know what that means? Confess that Jesus Christ is God. That's exactly what that means. Read the book of John. John, more than anybody else in the Bible, I believe, spoke about how Jesus is God. That's the very first thing John said. That was in in the beginning, there was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John says that immediately. He talks more about Jesus being God than anybody else, and more directly and straight to the point, making it his first words in the Bible that John wrote. Anyone that confesses me, that means to accept Jesus as God, to proclaim his name and who he is before other people. That's meaning speaking the truth. To confess means to speak this aloud, out loud, to speak it out loud. This ain't just believing. No, this is not just believing. This is speaking. Not just being a hearer, hearer of the word of God, but being a doer of the word of God, actually speaking it forth. That if you confess me before men in public, I will also confess him, him, her, that person, you. I will confess you before my Father in heaven. That means Jesus will welcome you into the kingdom. Verse 33. But whoever denies me, That means to deny that Jesus Christ is God. Whoever denies me, whoever denies that Jesus Christ is God, before men in public, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. That means that we cannot make it to heaven if we proclaim that Jesus is not God. We cannot make it to heaven. Cannot. It don't matter if we keep the seventh day or the first day or Christmas or Easter or the fiesta of tabernacles. Nothing else matters if we deny Jesus Christ as God. It don't matter how much you love people, how good you are, how many gifts you buy people. None of that matters. If you deny Jesus Christ as God, there's nothing else you can do to inherit heaven. You will not inherit heaven. It don't matter. Nothing else matters. Nothing. 
confess the first commandment, that thou shalt serve no other gods but me. Who spoke that? Jesus did. The Ten Commandments is Jesus talking. And Jesus said, Thou shalt have no other gods but me. That's what Jesus said in the Ten Commandments. That's the first commandment above all commandments. Amen. In verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Amen. This ain't what Paul wrote. This is what Jesus said. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword. And of course, he's talking about a spiritual sword. He's talking about the word of God. Jesus didn't come to uh, have us use swords and guns, did he? Of course not. He told Peter to put the sword away. So Jesus did not come to tell us that we got to lift up a literal, literal sword or gun. No. But rather that we lift up the word of God that the Bible over and over and over calls the sword of God the Word, the Scriptures. He came to bring the Word of God, the Scriptures, as a piercing sword. As the Bible says, that it will pierce even the soul. The Bible says that about the Word of God, that it would pierce even the soul. Meaning, can actually literally kill somebody even in the soul. So what the Bible says, that the Word of God is can pierce even the soul. Well, if the word of God can pierce the soul, it can heal your soul. Did I just speak the truth? Or not? If the word of God, look it up. I don't know the verse where it's at, but you can look it up. That the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword I know where it's at. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the soul. Is it Hebrews 4? Yes. So hold your finger right there, and let's look this up. Hebrews chapter 4. And it's talking about keeping the seventh day. Is the context in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. I give everybody time to get there. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper, more sharp, more sharp than a real sword. Can you imagine that? Sharper than any, any sword on the planet. You can take the sharpest real sword on earth, and the word of God is even sharper. 
It says it is sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing, that means going, that means breaking the skin, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It goes deep. The word of God goes deep into the spiritual body, into the soul. Don't you know that if a sword reaches your heart, it will kill you? If a sword reaches the heart, it will kill you. The word of God is even sharper than that. The word of God can kill. So we have to be careful about the enemy using the word of God against us. Be careful about it. But we should also realize that we can use that same sword against the enemy. It's not there just for looks. It's not in our house for decoration. And it should not be covered in dust. The word of God is meant to be used. Amen? The word of God is meant to be used against our enemy. It's not meant to be used against us, although it is. It's meant to be used against the enemy. That sharp sword is meant to be used against the enemy. It's not meant to just lay around the house. Going back to Matthew 10. Going back to Matthew 10. Verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, meaning the spiritual sword, the word of God that we fight with, with words. Verse 35, why came, why did Jesus come to this earth? I came to set a man against his dad, his father. Did you know Jesus came to cause division between us and our own parents? That's what Jesus said, and he does not lie. Jesus was not telling a lie when he said this. He came to cause a division between us and our parents. And a daughter against her mother. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be, not might be, but will be the members of his own household. That means your own husband, your own children, your own wives, your own grandparents, your own grandchildren, your own parents, your own brothers, your own sisters, Why did Jesus come to cause division in our own family? Why did he do that? Because he wants us to realize that this flesh and blood is only temporary. When you look at a person and you look in their eyes, 
and you see their hair, you see their hands and their feet, it's only temporary. That person, one of these days, is going to be gone. Is that not true? That person, one of these days, is going to be gone. But Christ will still be here. Christ will still be alive when everybody else is dead and gone. Christ will still be here. He wants to know who is faithful to him first. Who is faithful to him before anybody? Because the truth is, your family can't pick you. I mean, if they're your family, they're your family. There's nothing you can do about it. They didn't pick you, and you didn't choose them, and they didn't choose you. But guess what? God did. God chose you. To your parents and your children and your you know, brothers and sisters, there's nothing they can do about it. They didn't choose you. But Jesus did choose you. That's pretty important. That's something to think about. That Jesus chose us. And he chose us first. He is the reason we're alive. Not really, Mommy and Daddy. It is God that made us be born. If we had not been born, if I myself had not been born of my mom and dad, I would have still been born, but through somebody else. My mom and my dad did not necessarily choose me. They may have wanted a baby, or maybe not, I don't know, my parents, what was their thinking. They may have wanted a baby, but they didn't really think it all out. You know, they didn't choose a 5 foot 11, 5 foot 11 inch, 152 pound, blue eyed brown haired man with a big old long beard and a, a hair as long as his back. Oh, no, they didn't choose that. (laughs) They didn't choose that. But God did. And in verse 37, it says, He who loves dad or mom, is the way that Alpha and Omega Bible translates it. Alpha and Omega Bible says, He who loves dad or mother or mom, I'm not sure what I put for mother, but I know I put dad, for father, Because the Bible says to call no man father. What the Bible says, does it not? So he who loves dad or mother or mom more than me is not worthy of me. So, I mean, that's another false doctrine that people say you're not supposed to be worthy, but the Bible says you are supposed to be worthy. But you're not worthy if you love a flesh and blood temporary person more than God, because God is eternal. And the first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods but me. And it says, He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That doesn't mean we don't love people. Of course we do. Of course we love our children. Of course we love our parents. Of course we love our family and our friends. We love everybody. We should love everybody. But what it means is that we need to love God first because he chose us first. Amen? We need to love God first 
And we've got to be willing to let go of anybody, if so be, if that turns out to be the will of God, if necessary. Then we've got to be willing to let go of anyone, if necessary. And in verse 38, And he who does not take his cross, which is a heavy cross, and follow after me is not worthy of me. Jesus wants us to be worthy. And you can be worthy. Otherwise, it would not say this. Verse 39, He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. In other words, we need to be willing to lose everything. Job did. Job lost all of his family, his wives, his sons, his daughters, his money, his cows, everything, his health, the respect that people had for him. Job lost everything. And all the apostles and prophets, they were all crucified or beheaded. And a lot of them had to quit their jobs and left their parents and their wives. Moses left his wife and his children. We've got to be willing to surrender all. That's one of the songs we sing that we don't hardly ever sing it. But we need to be willing, if God willing, to surrender all. It's much more than just believing. There's a lot to salvation. And that's why it's going to take two resurrections to get the majority of the people saved is because there's a lot to it. In verse 40, it says, He who receives you receives me. That means if you have the word of God and you are speaking that word of God and somebody accepts what you're saying, not only do they accept what you're saying, but they're accepting what Jesus is saying. He who receives you receives me, Jesus said. And he who receives me receives him who sent me, the Father. He who receives a prophet, in the name of a prophet, shall receive a prophet's reward. That means if you accept my teachings, then you accept the teachings of Jesus Christ. And if you accept me as a prophet of God, then not only will you receive a normal reward, but you will receive a prophet's reward, which is a bigger reward, a greater reward. And you will be blessed because that you accepted the truth of the word of God. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man reward, and that's good, not bad. So all of this is in the context of the need to speak, and he that receives what you speak will be blessed. And it don't say it here, but it does say it in other places that he who does not receive your word will be accursed. Amen. Let's go to Ezekiel 33. Trying to move more quickly now. Ezekiel 33. Book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 1. 
Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me. What's the word of the Lord? The sword of God. It's Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. It's talking about Jesus. Amen. The word of the Lord Jesus came to me saying, Son of man, speak. He told us to speak. Speak to the sons of your people, to the children. And say to them, if I bring a sword upon a land. Now this is talking mostly literal. A real sword, as you're going to see in the context here. If I bring a real sword, if I bring tanks and guns and real flesh and blood war upon a land. If I bring a sword upon a land and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman. In other words, the man that stands up in the uh, tire overlooking the town that he may see the enemy's armies approaching closer and closer to the fortress. You put him up in the watchtower. He is the watchman. Verse 3, and that watchman up in the tire, he sees the sword coming. He sees the army coming. He sees the enemy coming upon the land and he blows on the trumpet to warn the people verse 4 then he who hears the sound of that trumpet that warning trumpet that an army is approaching and he does not take warning and a sword comes and takes him away his blood will be on his own head because he did not listen to the warning He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood would be on himself. But had he taken the warning, he would have delivered his life. Verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he's taken away in his sin in his iniquity. By his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Now this is both spiritual and physical because it is true, it is true, that it's talking about a uh, a real war and a real sword and guns and tanks, bows and arrows and horses. But it's also true that this is one of those verses that is also spiritual. It has what they call dual meaning. And even more so, this is a parable. Even as Jesus spoke parables in the New Testament, this is Jesus speaking in verse 1, the word of the Lord, the word was God, and the word was God. This is, this is Jesus speaking a parable. Amen. So it's not just a real war he's talking about, He is using the analogy of a real war, speaking about us warning people. The word watchman here is referring to your spiritual shepherds under Jesus, your pastors. This is talking about your pastors and your prophets and your apostles and your ministers, that they are a watchman for the sheep. 
They are a shepherd watching over the sheep uh, of spiritual, the church of God. Uh, But this can be applied really to anybody because in one sense, we are all watchmen of our own families. A A mom is a watchman of her children. That's true, right? A dad is a watchman of his wife and his children. That's true, right? So we are all watchmen in some way and form. Even if we're not married, even if we don't have kids, we are still a watchman of our own homes and our own, do we not look out the window and see who pulling in the driveway? We are all watchmen of our own homes and our families and of our, even of our parents and even of our brothers and sisters. Do we not warn our family and our neighbors, even if they don't even live in our house? We are still watchmen of the people that we love. Right? Should we not warn people, even if they live 10 miles away, even if they live 7,000 miles away, even if they're not related to us, even if they don't live in our own home? If we're able to see the armies coming, whether we're talking about real armies of Russia and China and Syria, or whether we're talking about the devil and false prophets and deception and lies and false doctrines, Regardless of what we're talking about, this parable that Jesus is speaking here in Ezekiel 33 is talking about all of this. We are all spiritual watchmen, and we all have the responsibility of warning people of impending danger. If you see a blind person walking down the street, and that blind person is about to cross the street, but traffic is still coming, isn't it, isn't it your duty and your responsibility to hollow out, to scream, I'm trying to say, to yell and say, watch out, car's coming, stop. That's your duty. That's your responsibility to help that blind person to not get hit by the car coming because they can't see it. Well, these churches... And our families and our friends, they're all blind. Amen? They're all blind. And they're all about to step out in front of the car. They're all about to walk off the cliff. And it's our job, if we love them, to speak out and say, I love you and this is why I'm telling you this. You're in danger. You're lost and you're deceived, and you're not teachable, and you've not been taught right. You've not been taught the truth. You need to read the Bible in prayer and in fasting is what we need to tell the people. And we need to tell the truth, even if they laugh at us, even if they mock. It doesn't matter that we already know they're not going to accept the truth. That don't matter. It doesn't matter that we know they're not going to accept the truth. It is still our job, our duty, our responsibility to point them to the truth. Amen. It says here that if they don't listen to our word, if they don't listen to the trumpet blowing, if they don't listen to the warning, it's their fault. But at least we blew the trumpet. 
at least we blew the trumpet. We did what we was hired to do. It is our job as the spiritual watchman of the world because we're the church of God and it's the, as the church of God, as the body of Christ, every one of us, even the women, it is our job as the body of Christ, as the church of God on this earth to be the spiritual watchman for everybody. It is our job. It is our place to warn the people. If we don't warn them, we don't really love them. Amen. We can't be afraid of what they're going to say and what the reaction is going to be. The Bible says right here in Ezekiel 33 that if they do not take the warning, then their own blood is on their own hands. But it also says that if we do not blow the trumpet, if we don't blow the trumpet, if we don't warn the people, then the blood is on our own hands what it says and it says in verse 7 now as for you son of man I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel well the house of Israel is not just flesh and blood but also spiritual everybody that is saved but not just everybody that is saved but even the people that think they're saved but they're not they think they're Israel and we still need a warning and so if you hear a message from my mouth and give them a warning from me and remember Matthew 10 said that what you hear whispered in your ear and what I tell you in secret or in darkness that you are to speak on the housetop here it says if you receive a message from my mouth and that means from this sermon or if you're reading the Bible or however God speaks to you if you receive a message from Jesus and give them warning from me verse 8 and when I say to the wicked oh wicked man talking spiritually oh wicked man you're going to die you're sure they're going to die and you do not speak if you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way that wicked man is going to die in his sin because nobody warned him nobody told him the truth but his blood I will require from your hand because you did not tell them the truth. You did not warn them. Verse 9. But if you on your part warn a wicked man, a sinful man, to turn him from his way, and he does not turn from his way, then he would die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your own life. You have saved your own life because you did warn him even though he did not listen, even though he still died in his sin, even though he did not take the warning, did not believe it, you still delivered your own life because you spoke the truth, because you did obey God, that you did speak the truth in the light in public and to those you're responsible for. You have delivered your own life. It don't matter whether they accept the truth or not. You still are held responsible for speaking. And if you do not speak, their blood is on your hands. That's what the Bible says. Now let's go to the book of 2 John chapter 7. 2 John 
chapter 7. That's over there right before the book of Revelation. 2 John 7. book of 2 John, which is only one chapter long, and it's verse 7, the book of 2 John. So you've got the book of John, and then you've got 1 John, 2 John, 3 John over there near Revelation, and 2 John chapter 7. For many deceivers, not just a few, but many deceivers have gone out into the world. And those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, that is the Jehovah Witnesses. Now, yes, they teach that Jesus came in the flesh, but the key word here is Christ. That word Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that the Father came in the flesh to be, that he tabernacled among them. This is saying that Jesus is God. And it's saying that those that do not admit, those that do not confess, those that do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, John 1, the word became flesh. You have to compare. See, John wrote the book of John, chapter 1, where it said the word became flesh. So you have to compare that with this verse. John 1, verse 14. So you can write that in the margin of your Bible right here next to verse 7. John 1, verse 14. It says the Word became flesh. So that means God became flesh. And it says here that if they do not acknowledge this, it's talking about if they do not confess that Jesus is God, it calls them a deceiver. That's exactly what it says. And it says this is the deceiver and the antichrist. Do you know who the Antichrist is? It's the Jehovah Witnesses. That is the Antichrist. It's not the president of Syria. The president of Syria is the son of perdition, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, the lawless one, the Assyrian. But the Bible uses the word Antichrist to refer to those people who do not bring the truth. It, it uses the word antichrist not for the man that's going to stand on the temple mount, not for the man that's going to appear in heaven, not for the man that claims to be God, but it uses that word antichrist for everybody who does not admit that Jesus is God. That is the antichrist. The Jehovah Witnesses, every one of them, even if it's our own dad, or mom, or brother, or sister, or son, or daughter. It don't matter who they are. The truth is the truth is the truth. And the Bible says that they are anti-Christ, meaning they are against Jesus, and that's the truth. They are anti-Christ. Remember, the word Christ means the Messiah. They are anti-Messiah. And the Messiah means God in the flesh. 
So they are refusing that Jesus is God. Verse 8, watch yourself. Look out the window. Be a watchman. Is not the Holy Ghost moving right now? He is. Are you not listening to the Holy Ghost speak right now that you are to be a watchman looking out for the spiritual safety of your family? Watch. Be a watchman. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have already accomplished. We have accomplished a whole lot. Don't lose it. Don't allow the enemy to come in and deceive your family. Stand your ground with the sword of the word of God. Use this verse and prove to them that they are antichrist. Say it straight to their face because that's who they are. And it says, don't lose what you have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. That means you might make it into heaven, but you might receive only a half a reward. You might receive only 10% of your reward. You might receive only 1% of your reward. But God wants us to receive a full reward. All of your pay, everything you deserve, everything you got coming to you, God wants that, whether you want it or not. God wants you to receive a full reward. There's more to it than just being saved and making it to heaven. We want a full reward. And so it tells us to be careful, to not lose any of this, what you have accomplished. You know what accomplished means? What you have earned. Don't lose what you have earned. Don't lose what you have worked for, your wages. You have worked for so much. Think about all these previous days and weeks and months that you've been learning and working. Have you not been working? Yes, you have. Think about all this time that you have been working. Do you really want to turn around or go back or lose anything that you've worked for. That would not be fair uh, to lose anything, but you would have to lose if you turn backward. Accomplished equals worked for. And say, for example, if you work 40 hours at your job and they only pay you for 20 hours. You worked 40, but they only pay you for only half of the time you worked. That would not be good. Wouldn't that make you angry? This should make you angry that these people are taking away our rewards. They're taking away our pay of what we could receive. They're trying to make us even lose our salvation even. This should make us angry. Verse 9, anyone that goes too far, you can go too far. People can go too far 
How do they go too far? It tells you. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide, that means do not stay, in the teaching of Christ. What does Christ mean? Messiah, which means the anointed one that God came to be God in the flesh. So this means if they go too far and they do not stay in the doctrine and teaching that Jesus is God, they're going too far. They're going too far. They have pushed you one too many times. They are going too far now, baby. Too far. When you say Jesus is not God, you are going too far, baby. Too far. And I am not going to stand for it. They do not have God. Look at there what it says. They're not saved. Does not have God. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Ghost. Underline, does not have God. How can you have God when they're denying that he is God? How can you have God? How can you be saved and deny God? How can you be saved when you're denying that Jesus Christ is God? Impossible. Impossible. There is not a single person on this earth that denies Jesus Christ as God who is saved because that is impossible. They do not have God. That's what the Bible says. That ain't me talking. This is not what Pastor Tim said. This is what the Bible says. Don't tell them what I said. Give them the scripture. Use the sword. I'm not the sword, am I? I am not the sword. I'm using the sword. Amen? I'm using the sword. You can borrow this sword. You can have this sword. Pick it up yourself and use it yourself. Don't tell them what Pastor Tim said. Tell them what the Bible says. The Bible says they don't have God. It's not even what you're saying. It's what the Bible is saying. And it says, the one who abides, that means stay in the teaching, the doctrine, that Jesus is God. He has both the Father and the Son. Amen. Which means that you have the spirit that exists throughout the universe and the, the part of God that came to die for our sin. You have all of God. You don't have only half of God. You don't have only 20% of God or 10% of God or 20% of God, but you can have the fullness of God in you. You can have God filling your body up with his spirit. Amen. Verse 10. And if anyone comes to you, anyone, if anyone comes to you, regardless of who they are, if anyone comes to you, whether it's an email, phone call, a magazine, or anything, or a website, and does not bring this teaching, that Jesus is God, do not receive him into your house. Don't do it. It don't matter whether it's a phone call, an email, a magazine, or a person knocking on the door. I don't care how much you love them, and I don't care how much you want to keep teaching them and keep teaching them and keep teaching them. This is what the Bible tells you to do. 
It's not up to you to choose what to do. This is what the Bible tells you to do. Do not, do not receive him into your house. And do not give him a greeting, which means blessing. Do not give him a blessing. What that means, don't even say goodbye. Don't say, God bless you. Slam the door in their face. Slam the door in their face. Don't give them a goodbye greeting. Don't give them a God bless you greeting. Don't say, call me later. Slam the door in their face. Slam the phone down. Don't let the devil have an inch. You give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. He'll take 10 miles. He'll take 100 miles. He'll take 1,000 miles. If you let the devil take one inch, Don't let the devil take an inch. Don't let the devil have his way. Don't let the devil in your family. Don't let the devil deceive your kids. Don't let the devil deceive you. Speak out. Speak out. Because the salvation of your soul and of your family depends on it. Be the watchman of your house even if they refuse to listen to the trumpet blow. How does a trumpet blow? Beep, beep, beep? No. Beep! Loud and clear. Because if you don't blow that trumpet loud, they're not going to pay no attention to you. When you blow a trumpet as a warning, you got to blow it loud enough for everybody in the town to hear on the housetop. Amen? We've got to get some guts to us. We've got to get some boldness to us because this is serious stuff. It is the salvation. And the devil is trying to destroy everything you've worked for. Everything. And he's doing a good job at it. Now I've got to make a note here. Verse 10. To John, verse 10, greeting is blessing. Well, it's not just blessing. It's a goodbye blessing. It's a goodbye uh, greeting or blessing. And it says in verse 11, for the one who gives him a greeting or blessing propitiates, takes part, in his evil deeds. When you embrace that person and say, come in my house, you are saying to that person that you're willing to listen to their deception. And you're allowing the devil's word and the devil's sword to come in within your camp to destroy. Even if they ain't going to destroy you're still allowing the enemy within the camp, and that's not good. And you're participating or approving of his own evil deeds. You're treating that person as if they are a true brother or sister in the Lord, and they're not. That would be like allowing a Russian or Chinese soldier to come into your camp and have coffee with you. 
come and sit down. I know you're my enemy, but come and have coffee with me. That's a no-no. Look at Ephesians 5. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. And the same is true not only in person, but even on the Internet and the magazines you subscribe to and the CDs you listen to and the YouTube videos you listen to. Letting people into your house with false doctrine in this day and time of the Internet is anything that comes into your home, even audio and video and magazines and books and videos and websites. Don't let that junk in your home. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Ephesians 5, verse 3. Ephesians 5, verse 3. But immorality, sin, or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. We are not to sin. Verse 4, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather a giving of thanks. That's not saying we can't tell a joke. We can. We can tell jokes. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's talking about talking foolish things, dirty jokes and stuff like that, which is not good. In verse 5, for this you know for sure, but certainly, You know for sure, certainly, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is idolatra has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, God. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't even let them in your house. Verse 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You're different than you used to be. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and the truth. The truth. Verse 10 trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, do not capacitate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. But Alpha and Omega is going to translate that as rebuke them. Even rebuke them. And I looked up the word there, the Greek word, that should say provoke them, but it says expose them to see if it really means provoke. And it does mean provoke, and it means to contend with somebody in anger. That's what the Greek word means, to contend with somebody in anger, to be angry with somebody and actually speak against that person, actually speak something to that person in anger. That's what the Greek word means, 
to speak to somebody in anger. It tells us to do that. It says, do not propitiate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead speak to them out of anger. Rebuke them. Verse 12, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible or known when they are exposed by the light, for everything that has become visible is light. So in other words, we need to expose them. We need to rebuke them. We need to speak it out in the light. You know what this means? If we don't speak the truth in public, if we do not speak the truth face-to-face with somebody, if we don't speak the truth to somebody in email or phone call or whatever way we can speak to them, if we don't speak the truth to them, then they're going to remain in their darkness. They're going to remain in their sin. They're going to remain in the trap that they're in, and they're not going to get out of the trap because nobody has told them the truth. And But by speaking the truth, we're revealing the truth to them, and the light is coming on, and the darkness is fleeing. By speaking the truth, it's revealing the deception. It's turning on the light and putting the flashlight beam directly on the sin. You're taking a flashlight, and you're flashing it directly on the lie of the devil and making that darkness flee and you're exposing the lies of the devil. Therefore, we need to speak out. We need to speak out. Jesus also said, or maybe Paul said, that Jesus had come to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We are now the body of Christ on the earth. We are the body of Jesus, the church of God on the earth. We, too, have the same goal and purpose that Jesus did, to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. And look at chapter 6 here, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. Look at verse 17, Ephesians 6, verse 17. Chapter 6, verse 17, you take that helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take it up. Don't let it lay down. Take it up in your hand. Verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, which has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. It's just praying in the Spirit. And with all this in view, be on the alert. That means be a watchman. Be on the alert. Be a watchman with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, Paul says, that the utterance speaking may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness, to make known, to turn the light on, with boldness, the mystery of the gospel. So this is actually part of the honor, not just the helmet of salvation, but speaking the word of God with boldness. It's not good enough to speak the word of God 
by itself. That don't do very much. It's not good enough to just take it in the hand. It's not good enough to only lift the sword. You have to pierce it. You have to take the sword and pierce the enemy spiritually. I'm not talking about real, real fighting with guns and weapons. I'm talking about taking the Bible and actually using it and saying the Word of God and speaking the Word of God and quoting the Word of God and using it to destroy the works of the devil. Use it to destroy the false doctrines. Use it to destroy the enemy that's coming against your family with boldness. Because it takes bravery to pick it up and actually use it because you know they're going to come right back at you. So it takes boldness, and you've got to use the boldness. And without using the boldness, you might as well just throw it away. Because the enemy sees the fear in your eyes. And the enemy knows that you're afraid. And the enemy knows you don't have boldness. The enemy's just going to laugh at you. The enemy will only just laugh at you more than, more than before. So you have to use boldness. Look at the book of Galatians, chapter 1. That's real close here. Is it to the left or is it to the right? Left, just a few pages to the left. Galatians, chapter 1, verse 6. Galatians 1, verse 6. I'm amazed, Galatians 1 verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting, turning back, going the other way, him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different, you're leaving God to follow a different gospel, a different gospel. Leaving Jesus, and look at the word Christ. You're leaving that Jesus is God and going to a different church, going to a different religion, going to a different teaching, going to a different gospel. Verse 7, which is really not even another gospel, only that there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul wrestled mostly spiritually with the Jews who, who were trying to get people to continue with the clean and unclean meats and the circumcision and all that. But what else did the Jews teach? The Jews were also teaching that Jesus was not God. Amen? The Jews were teaching that you had to be circumcised, that men had to be circumcised, that you had to do the clean, unclean, mean things, that you had to continue to kill goats, and you had to do all the, the flesh and blood things, but they didn't understand the spiritual things. And they were teaching that Jesus was not God. This is what Paul was constantly fighting against. And this is exactly what Paul's talking about in this verse and why Paul uses the word Christ here. This is exactly what he's talking about. He was warning against the Hebrew roots people. He was warning against the Jews. He's warning against the Jehovah's Witnesses. He's warning against anyone that is denying that Jesus is Christ or Jesus is God. Verse 7, which is really not another gospel, only that there are some who are disturbing you. 
They are disturbing you, and they're disturbing me too. I'm getting angry. They're disturbing us. Who are disturbing you and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or even an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And that's much more than just putting a curse on someone. That word for accursed means to be disfellowshipped, to be excommunicated, to be put out of the camp, to be put out of your house, that you are not to speak to that person, that you are not to have anything to do with that person. You are to slam the door in their face. That is what the Greek word means for accursed here. It means to not have anything at all to do with that person. Because he is bringing to you a gospel that is contrary to what we have preached to you. What does the word contrary mean? It means against. It is an opposing force. It is against. It is fighting war against the truth. And they are fighting us and bringing a gospel that is against the truth. It is contrary to the word of God. Verse 9. And it says in verse 8, even if an angel appears to you from heaven, even if an angel stands right in front of you, now this is powerful now, even if an angel appears to you, even an angel appears to you in a dream or a vision or even stands right in front of you and you can imagine the angel with all these wings and the white robe and a shining bright light. Even if this happens and you see an angel, that angel tells you that Jesus is not God, you are not to have anything to do with that angel. And you are to shut the door in that angel's face because that angel is a liar and that angel is being sent by the devil. It's a fallen angel. It is a fallen angel. Amen? Even if an angel comes and tells us these things that Jesus is not God, we are not to have anything to do with that angel because he's a liar. He's a fallen angel. Verse 9. As we have said before, and so I say again now, if any man, anybody, mom, dad, brother, any religion, any friend, uncle, brother, anyone, is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. He is to be disfellowshipped, excommunicated. This is much more than just believing. This is being willing to fight back against the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the devil that is behind that person, making them do and say the things that they're saying. The devil is right behind every person that is waging war against you. And it's not that person that we're really fighting. We're fighting the devil. We're fighting fallen angels. 
There is a fallen angel behind every person that's lying to you. There is a fallen angel that is leading the Catholic Church. The Pope is a fallen angel leading the Catholic Church. There is a fallen angel, a demon, leading the Catholic Church. There is a fallen angel, demon, that is leading the Jehovah Witness Church. There is a fallen angel, a demon, that is leading the Baptist Church. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. We're only supposed to listen to this Bible and the men who are proclaiming the Bible. They're not proclaiming the Bible. They take one verse, maybe two or three at the most, and that's it. They don't give you a million verses like I do. So why should you listen to them? And look at verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Are we seeking the approval of family and friends? I believe we are. Are we seeking the favor and the mercy and the grace and the love and the respect and the love of humans and not God? Or are we seeking the favor of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I am still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. You can only serve one or the other. You're either going to serve men or God. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Stop going back and forth. Who do you seek to please? I'm not here to make friends. This room is empty. Only my wife and myself are here. Why is that? Because I am not here to make friends. I'm not here for somebody to shake my hand. I'm not here for somebody to give me money. I'm not here to make people feel comfortable. I'm here to speak the truth. And the more truth that you speak, the less family you're going to have and the less friends you're going to have and the less people will be here in this building. I would rather that no one ever walk in this door or no one ever sit in these chairs than for me to have this place packed and not speak the truth. I'd rather speak the truth and have an empty room than to have a full room and tell the people lies because I will be held accountable for how I blow the trumpet. Amen? And I will be held accountable for whether or not I blow the trumpet. Amen? Look at 1 Corinthians 14. It's over to the left, just a few pages to the left. 1 Corinthians 14. 
verse 6. One Corinthians fourteen verse six. But now, brethren, one Corinthians fourteen verse six. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you, unless I speak to you either by way of revelation? or of knowledge, or of prophecy, or of teaching. These are good things. It's a good thing to speak a revelation to you. It's a good thing to speak knowledge to you, information. It's a good thing to speak prophecy to you, and teaching, and doctrine. And so what would it profit if I come to you speaking in tongues, unless I speak these things that you can understand? Verse 7. Yeah, even, even lifeless things either a flute or a harp or trumpet, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? I have to speak different from everybody else. I have to speak different than the false preachers. I have to be a different sound than the preachers of Babylon. And you do too. You have to speak different than the false believers, the false Christians, and the people that go to the false churches. You have to speak a different way. You have to blow the trumpet. Amen. Verse 8. For if a bugle or a trumpet produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? If somebody's blowing a trumpet and you don't know what they're saying because they keep changing the tune, how's anybody going to get ready for heaven? How's anybody going to come out of the false church? How's anybody going to learn the truth? Unless you blow the trumpet and stay, stick with your ground. Amen. Stick to your guns. Say it and be consistent. Amen. Let's go to James. That's over there to the right, and it's after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 1. After Hebrews, James chapter 1. It's also right before Peter. It's pretty close to the book of Revelation. James 1, verse 1. James 1, verse 1. This is uh, the brother of Jesus wrote the book of James. The brother, the flesh and blood brother of Jesus Christ is named James, one of his brothers. And James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings, and consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. We are supposed to be happy and rejoice when we, 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 we encounter trials. Is that CD skipping? <laughs> Verse 3. Knowing 
that the testing, amen, the testing of your faith, amen, produces endurance. We've got to learn how to endure the trials and the wars and the battles that are to come. We're being tested and building faith, verse 4, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Does the Bible expect us to become perfect? That's what it says here, that we are to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That means, that ain't talking about money. That is talking about not lacking in understanding, not lacking in boldness, not lacking in courage, not lacking in any of the spiritual things, but becoming perfect in the spirit. We're not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not pretending to be there yet. I'm not claiming to be there yet. I've still got work to do on this too. But we all got to press forward. Press forward, not backwards. Press forward. You need to write that on a great big sign about two feet, two foot long and put it on the wall. Press forward. And verse 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generosity, and without shame, without reproach, and it shall be given to him. So we need to ask God for wisdom. We need to ask God. Here's a list of things that we all need to ask God for. Write down this list. We need to ask God for wisdom, for discernment, and for more of his spirit. We need to ask God for more of his spirit, for him to fill us up. And we need to ask for more understanding, wisdom, discernment, more of his spirit, for him to fill us up with his spirit, and for him to give us more understanding. And we should also put on the list that we need to ask God to give us more faith, more courage, more strength, faith, courage, and strength, and boldness, boldness, faith, courage, strength, and boldness, amen. And it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without shame, and it shall be given to him. It will be, not maybe, but will, if you just ask. Verse 6, that he must ask in faith, without even doubting, 
For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, back and forth, back and forth, driven and tossed by the wind. That's not good for a, a, a person to be going back and forth. That's not good. So we must ask in faith. We must speak in faith. We must teach in faith. We must witness in faith. We have to blow the trumpet in faith, not in doubt. In verse 7, For that man who is going back and forth ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Do you want to lose your reward? Do you want to lose your pay? We are not to expect not even a little bit of what we've worked for if we're just going back and forth. Verse 8, being a double-minded person or double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. We should not be unstable. We need to be firmly rooted. Write that down firmly rooted in the truth, unshakable, unmovable. I encourage you to make a great big giant sign, two foot, three foot long, and write on the wall and say, unshakable, unmovable. Amen. Praise God. Unshakable, unmovable not tossing back and forth. Once we have accepted the truth, why doubt it anymore? Amen? Once we have accepted the truth, why doubt it anymore? You found the truth. You know you have. Why doubt it? Don't let the doubts come in. Be stable. Be well-rooted in the truth. Amen. And let's go to uh, Ephesians 4 again. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be done here soon. Ephesians chapter 4. That's over to the left. Ephesians 4 verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave some people to be apostles, and some prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Verse 12, Ephesians 4, verse 12. For why did he send the pastors? Why did he send the true pastors, the true apostles, the true prophets? This is why. Verse 12. For the equipping, to give you the sword, the equipping of the saints for the work, the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all obtain. We've not obtained yet. None of us have attained yet. But 
We have to keep pressing forward, keep working, keep working, keep pressing, keep learning, keep growing, keep maturing, keep, keep, keep on, keep on. Maintain, abide in the faith. Abide in the faith, 2 John 7. Abide in the faith. Abide in the doctrine of Christ Jesus until we all obtain, until we all do arrive to the unity of the faith, all saying the same thing, all agreeing, all those saying one doctrine, until we get the unity of the faith and of the knowledge, knowing God, the knowledge of the Son of God, until to a mature man, to all get grown up in Christ to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That means until we become like Christ, sinless. With man alone, without Christ, this is impossible. But with Christ, nothing is impossible. With Christ, Nothing is impossible. With Christ, all things are possible. The Bible tells us that he that is born of God does not sin. We can get there if we keep pressing only forward, not two step forwards and a step back, but only forward like the army of God that we are meant to be. until we get to the full measure of Christ. That's exactly what it says. In verse 14, as a result, that we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth, We have to speak the truth in love, but still with boldness, and still with the word of God, still using the sword because we do love that person and we want to defend our families, we want to defend ourselves, and we want to defend their own soul from destruction. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from which the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now let's go to um, stay in this chapter here for a minute. Verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, meaning don't walk the way the world walks. Don't walk the way that the false Christians walk in the fertility of their mind. Their mind is fertility. Their mind is in vain. Their doctrines are useless. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. They cannot understand because they don't have the Spirit of God. The Bible says they do not have God. They don't have the Spirit of God. Therefore, it's impossible for them to understand. They've got to get saved. They've got to get saved before they can understand. Amen? How do you get saved? The very first thing about salvation is you have to accept Jesus as God. 
You cannot get saved without accepting Jesus as God. That's what salvation means. Salvation means you accept Jesus as your Lord, as your God, as your Savior, as your Redeemer. Without doing that, you can't get saved. Because that's what salvation means, to accept Jesus as your God, as your Lord. You can't do that unless you accept him as God. Verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding. They're in the dark. We have to shine some light. They're darkened in their understanding. They are excluded from the life of God. They're excluded from the spirit of life, the spirit, Holy Spirit, because of the ignorance. They don't even know who God is, ignorance, that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. Hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as Truth is in Jesus. That, in reference to your formal manner of life, you lay aside the old self. You lay aside the falsehood and you speak the truth. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the deceit. You lay aside your old birthday. You lay aside putting yourself first. You lay aside your old doctrines and your old sinful ways, which is corrupted in accordance with the lust of the deceit. Verse 23, that you be renewed, reborn, in the spirit of your mind, and put on the armor of God, that you put on the new self, which is in the image of God, the likeness of God. In that while, we have to put on the image of God. God created us in his image, his likeness. But when Adam and Eve turned against God, they lost his image. And they lost his likeness. And they lost eternal life. And they lost the Holy Spirit. Adam and Eve did. They would have lived forever but they lost life. And they lost the likeness of God. And they, they no longer was like God. And to this very day, people are not like God. And people are no longer in the image of God until we are born again. When we are born again, we shed those skin. And we put on the new skin of the Holy Ghost. When we were born again, we shed the old skin. Read about the old skins, old wine skins and new wine skins. Read about that in the Bible. Old wine skins, new wine skins. When you are born again, you shed your old skin and you put on the new wine skin of the image of God. 
You cannot be like God until you're born of God. Amen? You cannot be the children of God and look like God and have the image of God unless you bring back that spirit of life that was lost in the fall of man. We have to be born again of water and of spirit. Put on the image of God. What what does God look like, Revelation 19, when he comes back? He has the sword of the word of God. And even his tongue is a sword, spiritually. And he's coming back, and he's going to speak with violence. And the Bible says that the son of perdition, the president of Syria, will be consumed by the sword of his mouth and by the brightness of his coming, but also by the sword of his mouth. How will Assad die? Assad won't die from nuclear war. Assad won't die from a a flesh and blood sword, a physical sword. Assad won't die by gunshot or stabbing. Assad will die by the word of God. And by the brightness of his coming, but also by the sword of his mouth, it says. But Assad is an angel. Assad doesn't even have true flesh and blood. What we see on TV is only an image. Only an image. A graven image. But his true self, Assad, is actually a spirit. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of spiritual wickedness in high places. But the spiritual word of God, the voice of Jesus Christ, is sharper than a gun, sharper than a sword, and will kill us all. That's powerful. It says here, verse 24, we need to put on a new self the new person, which is the image of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness, not in sin, not in compromise, not using the grace card. You know what the grace card is? The grace card is when everybody says, well, yeah, I'm a sinner and I've sinned and I sin every day and I don't have to keep the commandments because here I'm going to pull out this sword of the Word of God and I'm going to twist it and I'm going to abuse it. I'm going to distort it to mean that I don't have to keep the Ten Commandments because of grace, as using the grace card. They're pulling out the card from their back pocket, which is the Word of God, saying, by grace I am saved I don't have to obey. And they're using the word of God against themselves. They are committing suicide. They are falling on the sword of the word of God and piercing their own soul and committing spiritual and eternal suicide by falling on their own sword of the word of God called the grace card. That grace card is going to kill a lot of people because the Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. Let it never be. Let it never be. 
Let us never make an excuse that we can disobey God and not keep the seventh day and not keep the holy days only because of grace. Grace will kill you. We must obey God. And we, in the image of God, by new birth, through baptism of water and spirit, we are a new creation, created, in verse 24, created in righteousness and holiness, in the truth, or of the truth. You cannot be created in righteousness and holiness if you are still sinning. We got to stop sinning. If we have to carry a two-foot-by-two-foot sign with us 24-7 and glue it to our back in order to prevent us from sinning, then let us do so. If we have to confess our sins to our wives in order to help us stop sinning, then let us do so. If we have to confess to our husbands or our children or our grandparents or our pastors in order to help us to stop, stop sinning, then do whatever it takes. If you have to take a bucket, a bucket of paint and paint your hands or your feet in order to remind you of something, to remind you of a Bible verse or to remind you that you're the army of the Lord, do whatever it takes to stop sin and to stop being afraid and to stop taking a step backwards and move press only forward. One more Bible verse and I'll let you go. Just one more over to the right, book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh since we have a great priest over the house of God talking about Jesus let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith let us draw near to Jesus with full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This means we've got to apply the blood, hold your hand on your forehead daily and say, Lord Jesus, anoint me with your blood. Lord Jesus, anoint me with your blood and sprinkle me with your blood that my sins are washed away and create in me a new person, a consume out the old that I may become new. Let me shed the old skin and put on the new skin and be filled with your spirit, emboldened and encouraged in the name of Jesus. I put on the whole armor of God, including the sword of your holy word, the sword of the spirit of life, that I may defeat the enemy.
in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. And verse 23, let us hold fast. That means grip and hold tight. That's what that means. Let us hold fast means hold tight the confession of our hope without wavering, without going back and forth, and without doubting. Let us have underlined the word full assurance in verse 22. Without wavering, without doubting. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider, verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate, and that should be translated provoke. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Again, that Greek word for provoke means to speak out of anger. It says here, let us provoke, let us speak out of anger to one another so that we will provoke people to love and to do good works. Some people have to be provoked. Those women that came in here the other day, I had to provoke them. Because if nobody provokes them, if nobody just, if nobody speaks the truth to them, they're going to die lost. They're going to die in their iniquity. But I had to blow the trumpet. I had to speak with boldness and use the sword of the word of God and provoke them to start thinking. I had to provoke them to start examining themselves and questioning what they think and what they believe and what they have already accepted to be true, which is not true. I've got to provoke them. If we never use bold words, then how do we expect anybody in this dark world, filled and overflowing with deception, to learn anything? We have to use bold words and start provoking people to question what they believe and to examine themselves about whether they're really saved or not. It says to provoke, to speak out of anger of one another, to love and to good deeds. Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together on the seventh day on this broadcast as of the habit of some, yes, it sure is a habit, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Brethren, we see the day drawing near. We need to encourage one another and provoke one another to accept the truth. Verse 26, and this is the last verse, verse 26. For if we go on sinning, if we continue sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. That means if we keep sinning and keep sinning and keep sinning and we never stop sinning, the blood of Jesus is not for us. And that blood is not applied to us and we are not saved and we will not be saved until we are willing to give up the ways of sin, lawlessness and disobedience against the Ten Commandments. There is no longer a sacrifice for us for our sins, if we just keep on sinning. So we have to grow in the Spirit, pray, 
fast, read the scriptures, and stop listening to the lies of the devil, and stop allowing the devil to get an inch. Because every time we give the devil one inch of our mind, of our belief, of our doctrine, he takes a mile. Realize that the devil is out to kill us. Realize it. And take not only defense, but offense against the devil. Speak your mind. Speak the truth. Speak it in public. Shout it on the housetops. And let the whole world know that Jesus is God. And make his his name known among the nations. That's what the Bible says. Make his name known among the nations. May the Lord be glorified in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love and your forbearance with me. And I encourage all of you to uh, read the newsletter later today. In fact, I've already got the newsletter on the Internet already. So you can read it at your convenience. And I've got my notes from this sermon already on the newsletter today. So you can read it at your convenience. But I covered much, much, much more today than what I've got written in those notes because I only follow the notes only as a pattern, as an outline. But as I speak, as I teach, and as I preach, I allow the Holy Ghost to move in me and to speak what he wants to speak. So I've said much more than the basic outline. But what you see on the newsletter today is just the basic outline of the notes and I'll put it there mostly for people who don't listen to the services, which I don't know why they listen, why they don't listen, except for they've got so many other things to do. They've got to go shopping. They've got to do this. They've got to do that. But they ain't got time to listen to the Word of God. So I have righteous anger and hoping to provoke somebody to listen. And if they ain't going to listen just because I ask them to, I know I can't force no one. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. But if they're not going to listen to us when we use gentle words, then maybe we need to get a little bit more boldness and just say it the way it is. Amen? That's what Jesus did. Jesus called the people hypocrites right to their face. And it don't matter that we're not God. We're the servants of God. We are the ambassadors of God. We are the messengers of God. We are his people and his body on this church, and we can do anything he did. The Bible says that we can do and will do everything he did and more, and even greater works shall we do. Even greater works shall he do. We have now come, not to bring peace, but a sword. Let us destroy the works of the enemy. Let us destroy these false doctrines. And let us pray them out of business. Let us pray these churches out of business. You know, part of my prayers, I'm going to just share just a glimpse into some of my prayers. I know our prayers are private, but for your edification, for your help, that you may pray with me, I pray that these radio stations, that these TV preachers, that these TV evangelists, that they lose everything. 
I pray they lose their income. I pray they lose their electric. I pray they lose their houses and their cars. I pray they lose all of their ministry and their church and all their following because they need to. Because those people are being taught lies and deception. They're in a trap. I pray that people get out of the trap. So I pray for these false preachers to go off the radio, for them to lose their electorate, for them to lose their support, and for them to be revealed for who they really are. I pray that it gets in the news that they look at pornography, that they cheat on their wife, that they do this, that they do drugs, or whatever it is that they're doing behind the scenes, that it be revealed to the people so that the people will know who they really are and that the people be delivered from the trap. Amen. I pray that the pastors of the Baptist church go to jail. I pray that the pastors of all these false churches go to jail and lose everything they've got like Job did because that's the only thing that's going to turn them around. Let them lose their wives, their children, their family, their job, their houses, their land. Let them lose everything. Because it's the only thing that's going to turn them around. Bring the great tribulation and deliver the people from these traps. Deliver the people, Lord. Deliver the people. Because I love the people that I pray for judgment on those that are holding them in bondage. Because I love the people, I pray for the imprisonment of those that hold the people in bondage now. May the tables be turned on them in Jesus' name. And that through their imprisonment and through the loss of their ministries and everything they have, that they will repent and may they be provoked to repentance. For the Bible says that righteousness and repentance will come when your judgment comes upon the land. That's what the Bible says. So let judgment come so that repentance will come. All this in Jesus' name. Amen.